All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. So I'd be playing for 10 hours straight, 4 p.m. to 2 a.m. This is Felix. He lives in the U.K., and after his dad left his family... Felix started distracting himself with video games for hours. I stand up from my seat. I'm a little stiff. My eyes are going. My head's racing. Take my headset off. Then you go to bed and you think, I hate myself. He felt awful, physically, emotionally. And Felix remembers the exact moment when he decided he needed to quit. On that day, after playing for so long and making no progress, I kind of realized that it wasn't the solution to my problems, it was the cause of them. The first step is admitting you have a problem. But then what? I'm Anoush Samarodi, your guide to this accelerating world. And note to self, screen time is a daily battle between kids and parents, between ourselves and our better judgment. But maybe it doesn't have to be. Reporter Dina Temple-Raston met Felix on her quest to try and understand how young people, some young people, get so hooked on screens. He's in her new podcast, which is called What Were You Thinking? Inside the Adolescent Brain. And Dina also travels to South Korea, where she meets this guy. My name is Hong Yeol-yi in Korean name. And this he told us to call him Yol. Until recently, Yol played a game called League of Legends. When you were doing it a lot, how much a week? 12 hours in a day. <laughs> eight, play game, eight, eat, play game. <laughs> 12 hours a day is kind of extreme, sure. But uh, I kind of have to admit it, there are days when I am on a screen from pretty much waking up in the morning until going to bed at night. Screens on my commute, all day at work, on the couch to unwind. There's that thing about glass houses or maybe glass screens and stones. So, I mean, that's the question, right? Like, what is too much? What about... Kids who, I don't know, they just want to get in some Minecraft time or they want to update their Instagram. And parents who are kind of psyched that they're doing it because they want a moment to answer their own emails or make dinner. How do we know if we're doing screen time right, even if we don't have kids, just for ourselves? Well, that is the answer that we're looking for today. With help from my friend, NPR's education correspondent, Anya Kamenetz. Anya has a new book out called The Art of Screen Time, How Your Family Can Balance Digital Media and Real Life. It's not pedantic. It's not annoying. This is a book with good research, guidance, and some reassurance. I think the biggest concern that parents have is that screens are a mysterious 
environmental toxin that is having huge, <laughs> unobservable effects on your child's brain. It's so true. It's yeah. Like a gas. Exactly. It is like DDT. It's like radon and that fear that there's a silent killer in your home. <laughs> and what I'm here to say is that there are dangers connected with technology, and they are things that you can see with your eyes. And you can apply common sense to try to figure out how to mitigate those harms. Tell me if I've been wrong. I've been careful to say the using the word addiction around screen time is debatable still. Yes. That's the mainstream position right now is okay. to say we can talk about problematic levels of use, a problematic relationship, or even a disorder, a behavioral disorder. There are people who have pushed back. I mean, Nicholas Cardenas, the author of Glow Kids, you know, he's like, we have teenage patients who are wearing adult diapers because they're playing World of Warcraft for 25 hours. Ew. Doesn't that sound like addiction to you? I know. I know. The question, I guess, is do we need the word addiction to understand what's going on mm. and how to address it? What does it actually tell us? Well, you say something in your book, which is, is screen time the new sugar? Yeah. And I feel like sugar was just the new carbs, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> like, there's always something, right? But, you know, we still don't know a lot of things about how screen time is affecting kids' brains. Mm -hmm. What do we know? So we know a lot about sleep. Screens interfere with naps and with bedtime and quality of sleep, quantity of sleep. We know about obesity, and that stretches back into many decades of research on television. We don't know exactly why. It could be that kids snack more when they're watching. It could be that they are more susceptible to marketing or both. We or do they're just sitting on their butts instead of running around outside. The couch potato hypothesis is actually not supported. Oh, really? Yes, because kids that read a lot and color a lot are also sitting on their butts. So uh, it's, it, it's one of those counterintuitive things. It's also true that a lot of kids are watching a lot of television and they're not all overweight. And then there are smaller real effects on things like attention disorders, learning to read, and certain behavioral issues correlated with large amounts but not causally related, right? So if a kid is spending five hours a day on the screen, they're more likely to also be depressed but look at the other things in their lives contributing to that. When you're talking about screens, I notice that you're still mentioning television. So most of the research that's out there is on television. And yet the last major piece of federally funded research on kids and media came out in 1982. 82? 82, the National Institute of Mental Health. There's a major gap in the research. So let's, like, name the different ways that we use screens. And are they different? My kid, by accident, <laughs> downloaded um, Tropical Farmville and, like, had to learn how to grow pineapples. I can't see any redeeming value in that. But when she FaceTimed with my dad the night before, that was nice for both of them. So video chat's an easy one because it's gotten the blessing of the American Academy of Pediatrics oh. as young as six months. It has. Okay. Yeah. They've got research that shows, even for babies, they can kind of tell that it's a conversation. It's more like a conversation than it is like watching a video. They did a cool study with six-month-olds, and they found that it's like grandma on the other end, and the six-month-olds will babble back. And when it's live, they babble back. When it's a video of grandma doing the exact same thing, they don't babble back because they seem to understand the contingency, like the timing that's fascinating. It's so fascinating. So video chat's cool under most circumstances. Uh, interactive stuff. Some doctors think interactive stuff is great because it's more like a toy. They're learning cause and effect. And others say, well, it's too repetitive and it's too compelling because they have these, you know, it's gamified. Yeah. So it's addictive by design. It's got these things built in to make you keep wanting to do it, even if it doesn't have much inherent value. So that's kind of a case by case. It kind of, I would say, like, you can definitely learn from an interactive app that delivers content. 
looking for creative open-ended apps is a good thing. Like, even within the world of apps, there are ones that are more like toys than they are like games. Almost like just play sets, like a dollhouse. And because they're more open-ended, they're less sticky. So they're not, like, obsessing your kid through artificial means. Right. They are, like, inherently interesting to the extent that they're, like, fun to explore. But they're not going to be like, ah, oh, more, more, more. And I think that there's room for all of it. Um, but with video games, in particular with apps, you see there's more patterns of compulsive use. Um, <laughs> what right. does that look like? Uh, Can't stop, won't stop. Exactly. Uh, You know, behavioral explosions when you turn it off, sneaking around to use it. You know, it's the only activity that they want to do. So just a few weeks ago, we had Apple be pressed by a couple of its shareholders. And these activist shareholders were like, you need to do more to make sure that, you know, we're not propagating addictive behaviors from our youngest consumers. And Apple made kind of a nebulous response back. And it wasn't quite clear what these investors wanted, whether they wanted more specific technical changes or they wanted actual research to be done. Mm -hmm. What's your sense about that? It was tricky because there was so much packed into that statement. A lot of the research they cited with regards to teens is it's correlation. It's not causation. And because you can't. I mean, you can't divide teens into two categories and give one of them iPhones and see which ones get more depressed. <laughs> You're just not going to do that research. Very black um, mirror. Yeah, exactly. If we could, you know, if we only could. So they're using research that's not totally proven, but that kind of proves their point to say there's a lot that we don't know. It was very interesting. I thought that the teachers union was part of that letter yeah. um, because teachers are seeing, you know, they see kids on Moss. And the rhetoric at home with kids and screens is all doom and gloom. But when you go to school, it's all about how wonderful it's going to be when every kid has an iPad. And okay. teachers are in the middle of that. Very interesting that you bring that up. So my son is about to go to middle school, and Ooh. it's this weird thing in New York City that you have to apply, even to public schools. And one of the schools we went to see, that was their big pitch to parents. This is one laptop per student or iPad, I can't remember which, individualized learning. And they kind of were like, ta-da, like mm-hmm. as, as though we were all supposed to go, ooh, mm-hmm. ah, yes. Like, And I was like, I don't know if that's a good thing that wh- whatever happened to classroom banter. I'll tell you what's counterintuitive. So I'm in classrooms myself about once a month. And I would say that the best classrooms that I see actually don't have one kid per computer. They have two or three or four kids on a computer. And the reason for that is that they're doing thoughtfully planned group projects Mm. that are designed to be collaborative where each kid takes on a slightly different role. And the screen is not the center of what they're doing. I I do worry, you know, and and I'm speaking to you listeners who have – kids in their teens, you know, a lot of the homework is done on laptops. Um, You know, you can police as much as you want, but you're really leaving it in the hands of the kids when they're supposedly doing homework or asking their friend about an assignment, and then they happen to click over to something else. That's what I feel like is so tough to navigate. It's the, the, the temptation. It's like, you know, giving someone a salad with like a donut on the side. We're all in that world. We're all living in the world of the unlimited donuts on the side. What is the positive strategies? I mean, helping your kids set priorities, set limits, helping them, checking in with them on their timing. Like you said, this was a 30-minute assignment. You've been sitting at your desk for an hour and a half. What's going on? And then if all this bagginess is getting built into it, it's like, well, you think you can multitask. Everyone thinks they can multitask. Probably you can't. So I'm going to check in and see if you've actually done it. And, and it varies with kids, right? Because what we're trying to do is not just get the homework done. That doesn't really matter. But scaffold them to make better choices themselves. Right. 
But it gets harder because my son has this game that he loves. It's an aviation game. I feel like it's kind of educational, maybe not entirely, but mm-hmm. whatever. But he's like, no, mom, I wasn't using my time for that. I was researching where we're going tomorrow. So that doesn't count towards my time. Mm-hmm. There's this constant negotiation, just constant. And there are weekends where I'm like, oh, my God, I want to throw this thing away because it's just – it's. Uh, it, always in the middle of us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I just got very excited and mad right there. Look no, no, no. It's so <laughs> frustrating, right? Because it's it's so compelling to him and there's so many things he wants to do. Yeah, I mean, I... And I, he's in his pajamas and it's like noon and I'm like, you're not even like a teenager yet, man. Okay, it's time for a quick break. I'll be right back with Anya and her algorithm of sorts that will help you figure out the best screen strategy for your family. Don't go anywhere. We're back. It's Note to Self. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, and Anya Kamenetz is the author of the new book, The Art of Screen Time, How Your Family Can Balance Digital Media and Real Life. You sort of offer an algorithm for families to figure out the best screen strategy for their family, because there is no one-size-fits-all. Can you please explain how that works? Sure. So you know your kid best. There are certain risks and harms to watch out for that are red flags. Those have to do with what we mentioned before around sleep, obesity, behavioral issues, explosive, feeling like you have an unhealthy relationship to the screen and you're angry when you turn it off. Any of those would cause you to adjust the amount of time your kid is spending with screens. If none of that is the case, then you move toward what is the positive. How am I using screens with my kids and reflecting on how they're using it to create, to connect, to enjoy And I boil it down to a a crib from Michael Pollan. His is eat food, not too much, mostly plants. And I talk about, you know, enjoy screens, not too much, mostly together. That's nice. I like that. And you actually did a survey of over 500 parents. Based on what you discovered, how can we do it better? So the most common behaviors in my survey, people are more likely to say that they limit time. And the most common response of all was an hour a day. An Um, hour. Does that that seem reasonable? uh, It's probably a lie. Or my sample was not representative. But it's a good rule of thumb. An hour or two a day is a good rule of thumb, especially for school-age kids. Okay. Then limiting by content makes sense because of the research about violence and pushing towards educational content to the extent that you can. You have more control when they're young, less control later. And then priorities. I think this is a really interesting way of doing it. Like, you get the screen after homework is done, or you get the screen after you play outside, or, you know, you've run around all day, and now it's the afternoon, and you want a little downtime. Then it's okay. It fits into the balance. Now, the pitfall is that a lot of parents, we do it case by case because it's giving us a break. Right. Right? (laughs) Yes. So, so total groans of recognition. So we're handing it over in a way that makes sense to us but is totally opaque to the kids and gives them an incentive to beg for it all the time. I'm thinking of Saturday morning. Okay, Mm -hmm. so all the rules that you laid out, that it should be educational, that it can be for max an hour, and it has to be after your homework is done. 
I think we broke all those rules Saturday morning <laughs> when my husband and I just wanted to sit at the dining room table and, like, drink coffee and read the paper totally. quietly. And I'd see this sort of bartering and negotiating going on between my kids. And I guess it's true that despite the fact that it's written in thick marker and posted on the refrigerator, the rules, we do, we slip. Yeah. And that's not a screens thing, right? It's a parenting thing. Right. And so, you know— I think as kids get older, they can be more tolerant of, you don't have to be perfect, right? You're not like a perfect laboratory trainer or, you know, <laughs> Cesar, the tra- the dog trainer who's like consistent every time. There was a new report that came out actually this month from Common Sense Media. Yeah. And it found that contrary to the recommendations for most pediatricians, that many children use media they say use media, which is such a funny way to put it. But they're on a screen, I guess, or in front of one right before bedtime. And that a lot of families still leave the TV on in the background. How do you say this without sounding like classist? But is it related to income in some ways? That if you can't afford to have a babysitter who is on the ground building blocks with your kid, yeah, of course you're going to put the TV on. Bingo. Yes. We see that the so-called digital divide has completely disappeared. And in fact, children at a lower socioeconomic level are getting more screen time now than kids from a higher socioeconomic level. Everything that we say about kids and screens is super related to education and class and also how confident parents feel. The kind of parents that set good limits tend to be good parents. They give their kids better, more vegetables. They give them more outside time. Mm-hmm. And they also have clearer screen time limits. And so anything you say about what's good about less screen time presupposes that there's someone on the ground who has that capability and that interest. I once went to spend a day with a family where the dad is a Google engineer. And it was really interesting to see how their screen time was so different than mine. Like he was able to code and do cool stuff with his son. What can those of us who, you know, Sure, we know our way around, like, a computer, but we can't, like, you know, look, son, look, daughter, let's build something with code. Like, I can't do that. So you can share with them what you really love. I use my camera and I use my audio recorder. I use apps for reading. I love to do research online. If my kid has a question about something, we look and research together. So there's something that you do with technology that is an expression of who you are and what you love Uh that you can share with your kids. And it's important to do that sharing. Absolutely, because how are they going to learn what technology can really do and how positive it can be if they don't see you doing it and do it with you? So if you think about a kid that reads, right, you have to be there reading the book to them. You can't just buy books and leave them on the floor of a toddler's room. So same thing with television. You have to do a little bit more scaffolding. Even a regular show, even the basketball game, if you're sitting with them, if it's not too violent, not too fast-paced— you can point stuff out, and they will learn stuff. Cool. That's blue. That's yellow. That's one. That's 25. That's three points. Yes. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Mommy's team is winning. Yeah. So television best practice is joint okay. engagement. Okay. Um, so you start out with a toddler, and you're watching with them saying, that's blue, that's green. Your mediation role shifts a little bit as they get older, just like they might be doing independent reading, but you want to help them pick good books. Very similar with TV, with Mm -hmm. online time. What did you see online today? Tell me about your favorite game. I want to learn how to do it. You know, let's do this activity together sometimes. Um, Oh, let's look up the recipe. Let's watch the video. So yesterday I had to do some work, and my daughter really wanted to watch a show. So I made myself feel better by putting on the show and sitting next to her and doing my work. But that's not what we're talking about here. That's life. You do that. You're right. So best practice, hey, what was the funniest part of that show? Okay. Right? That's the chill version. It's just like 
conversation starters along the way. And hopefully we get to a point where we can enjoy trash TV and not feel like we're, you know, imbibing those guilty pleasures. Right. Everybody but, but has adult, to. that's adult, right? Yeah, being an adult. We're on the we're on this we're on. we're on a journey. We're all on a journey. Okay, so I have started to try to do something that I, I think I'm gonna call narrative parenting, which is this idea of like, you know, when I fall into the hole that is my smartphone and like I disappear from whatever it is that we're doing in the kitchen at the time. I have tried and I when I remember to be like, now like explaining because it used to be that like my mom would take out her address book then she'd open the calendar then she'd pick up the phone and I could see what she was doing so now I want to be like I'm checking the calendar right now oh look we have to be somewhere at 11 a.m. let me check on the web what their opening hours are you know like just sort of talking through narrating it must be really annoying but like (laughs) narrating what I'm doing so they see that I'm not just ignoring them but there is purpose and I'm doing very specific things on my phone. Am I fooling myself that that's helpful? No, I think it's incredibly helpful because if you open it up and you're like, well, I'm going to see what Rihanna was doing on Instagram today. Well, maybe we should admit that too. Yeah. And that's okay. Mommy has a thing for Rihanna, maybe, and and like whatever, girl crush. But I think it's a great idea to share and open up your world. We did subscribe to the paper Sunday New York Times, and I just have noticed there's pictures in the paper and you can talk about what's happening. Um, and yeah. so and we'd still get it too. And I that's one of the best reasons to get it. Mm-hmm. The other thing I've started to do is pull out cool books that we have and just stack them in the middle of the dining room table. Nice. Just to like, oh, what look at that page. Media. Hey, look, analog media. <laughs> look what it does. It shows people stuff. And probably people are using the home speaker systems in a oh, similar yeah. way, right? I know my friends love to talk to Alexa, the kids, and check the weather and, you know, play music and all that. Technology. I feel like such a dork. Technology is changing very rapidly, Anya. Where are we going into this future? Because it's not going to be screens that are go on or off. It's going to be embedded in everything around us. Yes, we're heading towards a future where the concept of screen time doesn't make as much sense. And our kids are going to be interacting with artificial intelligence and forming parasocial relationships with entities that are not quite human. And so I think it does go back, though, to basic premises that there are wonderful things that the online world has to offer or what in the future will be the digitally enhanced world. And then there's wonderful things about being a human being in a flesh and blood body and in this moment. And kids are brought to this planet to make us be in the moment and make us see how fast time goes by. So we want to spend that time with them. Oh, that's a beautiful point to leave it on. Super fun having you here again. Come back soon. Anytime. Being intentional, not judging ourselves or the people around us about how they use their devices or why they're watching a screen. It's the note to self way. We can do it for joy and connection if we think about it. It is possible. We talked about lots of great stuff in this episode. We will link to it all in our newsletter and at notetoselfradio.org. So Anya's excellent book is called The Art of Screen Time. We will link to that. Also, check out Common Sense Media. We'll link to that. It rates games and movies and stuff so you can figure out what is appropriate for your kids, no matter what age they are. And of course, at the beginning of the show, we played clips from a new podcast called What Were You Thinking? Inside the Adolescent Brain. Dina Temple-Raston talks to neuroscientists, psychologists, a teenage jihadi. It's a new Audible original series. All episodes are available there for your binging pleasure. We will link to that, of course, too. 
And finally, our friends at Fast Company. We have so many friends that we're mentioning in this episode. They are doing their own survey of parents and the way that they deal with screen time, and they would love for you to participate. So another link on our website. Or you could just subscribe to our newsletter, and the links I mention in this show and in every show will appear in your inbox every Wednesday morning. So many good things to help us figure the screen time thing out. And we will, people. Oh, we will. Okay, we're going to be back with a new show in a couple of weeks, but keep your eye on the Note to Self podcast feed wherever you do your listening. We might put some surprises in there. Um, So maybe, I don't know, maybe you should just subscribe to us so you don't miss those surprises, right? Like, it's just a thought. Note to Self. Subscribe to Note to Self. The Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Cunane, and Joe Plourd. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Anoush Samarodi. See you soon. <laughs> this woman was telling me about her toddler who, um, I guess, I don't know, she was into like Doc McStuffins or something like that. That show about a, like a little girl doctor. Mm-hmm. And so now when anybody ref- says to her like, would, oh, would you like a lollipop princess? Like in a store or something like that. She says, I'm not a princess. I'm a doctor. Nice. Isn't that good? Yeah. I love that. I'm not a princess. I'm a doctor. <laughs> Three-year-old. I'm a doctor, I'm a doctor. <laughs> All right? Not a princess. Um, That's amazing.